This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the result, you'll always be winning with Muck Delivery. So the only thing left to say is, you in? Order now on the McDonald's app, and you can also get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants, 18 plus. Rewards registration required, points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hello and welcome to Albion Analysis with me, Chris Hall, and him, Pete George. Well, we've got one to pick the bones out of today, haven't we? Uh, Albion going down 2-0 in the FA Cup fourth round to Wolves. No real shame in that. No real shame in losing to a mid-table Premier League team when when you're a top six championship club. However, what there is plenty of shame in all around, really, is for the scenes which caused the game to be delayed 38 minutes in the 77th minute of the match after Wolves had scored their second goal. Now, I think we've got to address this from the off before we can get into the the, the stuff that really this podcast was built to talk about um, because we're, we're here to talk about the game. We're, we're here to talk about how Albion performed, the data behind it, all those sorts of things. But you you can't do an Albion podcast and completely ignore the fact that that those scenes happened and that that the game was delayed and and that they're not acceptable and that's ultimately where we're at with this. I have seen a lot of blame being thrown around on social media all over the show, really from from both sides of it. Um, really, really appallingly as well from Gary O'Neill, which I thought was was pretty poor. But I'll come to that in just a second. The reality is, people are blaming the club, the stewards, the police. Albion fans are blaming Wolves fans. Wolves fans are blaming Albion fans. The fact is, that's just got to stop. People have got to grow up and just take some responsibility, because the facts are this. A game was delayed for 38 minutes because it became an unsafe environment within the stadium. We had a situation where players were having to pull their their families out of the stands. We had a situation where Albion fans' parents were moving out of the Halfords Lane onto the perimeter and onto the pitch itself because that was the safest place for them to be out of that stand, out and away from, from the melee. We had a situation where one fan had to leave the ground on a stretcher 
another one with their head split open. We've all seen the graphic pictures. The bottom line is, right, that is not the responsibility of just one element. Stewards, club, wolves, Albion, police, they all take some level of responsibility for what happened. There is no, there is not a doubt in my mind for that. So let's stop the blame game and accept the fact that what happened is just plainly unacceptable. And it's unacceptable from all sides, really. It's, it, it doesn't, it doesn't seem like it was brilliantly handled by any stretch although look that will be covered by an FA investigation and the and the club investigation and it's not acceptable that certain elements and I don't care whether they're Wolves or Albion to be honest with you that for me they're not football supporters because they're thugs and they, they've they've seen an opportunity to have a melee and they've taken it and it's not acceptable to just stop acting like human beings just because it's a local derby look we all go we all go to local derbies anybody who sits around me knows that i get as passionate as anybody i shout i sing i you know i i i get very very animated during the course of any albion game let alone a black country derby but and i also recognize the fact that for a lot of our younger fans that's the first one that they've ever been to because we've waited 12 years with fans for this but it is not an excuse to stop being a human being, to stop caring about the people around you, to stop worrying about the fact that there's kids around. And there's always a lot of kids in that area of the Halfords Lane because it's generally players' comps in that area of the stand. So you've got a lot of players' families in there. It's not acceptable to suddenly start stop caring about your fellow human being just because there's a tribal local derby going on so as far as i'm concerned pete and this is this is the bottom line for me i'm not looking at this from an albion or a wolves point of view i am looking at this from the point of view of there was a group of people and i don't want to associate them with either side and i hope wolves don't want uh, want the ones who call themselves wolves fans who were involved in that situation associated with their club either and they just basically stop deciding to be acceptable human beings for a period of time because they think it's okay because it's a local derby to suddenly start acting like animals. And that's and that's the bottom line for me. And just to finish off on, on this point, I I mean look, the club will investigate, the FA will investigate, and punishment will be meted out. I hope the club find the fans who were who were acting unacceptably. You've got to draw a distinction between the fans who went onto the pitch because it was the safest place for them and the ones who just saw an opportunity to get involved in a ruck. There's two different things there. But I also think, you know, Wolves have got an, a, a responsibility to find their supporters that were involved in this. And for that reason, I was appalled by Gary O'Neill's post-match comments. I don't know whether he was poorly advised or what it was, but he basically came out and said, well, you know, it's not our problem. Our fans were miles away. Our fans acted as you you would expect. They were, they were fine during the whole game. It's all good. It's nothing to do with us. Basically farmed it off on, on West Bromwich Albion and said it's West Brom's problem. I am not blaming either fan base. 
and, and as I say, I, I distance myself from the people who, who were involved in that because I don't consider them football supporters. But I do not think it's acceptable for Gary O'Neill to absolve his football club and his fan base of, of any blame before an investigation has even taken place to just get, wash your hands of it and say that's that situation was nothing to do with us. Everybody, everybody in this situation, as I say, all the people involved have to take some level of accountability until they are proven by an investigation to have not been culpable. And Gary O'Neill, from minute one, in the post-match interview, washed his hands of the situation, and it is not acceptable. The bottom line for me, Pete, is this is is as simple as this. As I say, the first step in solving any problem is admitting there was one. There was a problem on Sunday, a big one, and it was a it was a big problem for a number of elements. The club have a problem because when you've got that many people switching between stands and uh, and pouring onto the pitch there is a security issue there's no getting away from that um the, you know the policing again they will look at they will have to look at how the, how they conducted themselves the stewarding as well it's difficult for stewards i accept that because a lot of them don't uh, don't have the license unless they effectively have the same qualification as a doorman to put hands on people so it's difficult for a steward when something like that kicks off i i accept that but everybody has to look at themselves in this situation albion fans or the people who call themselves Albion fans who were involved in that have to look at themselves. Similarly, the people who call themselves Wolves fans who thought this was a good idea, this was funny, have to look at themselves because the simple, honest fact is that nobody should go to a football game and be made to feel unsafe. Everybody has the right to pay money to go in a football stadium and feel safe. And those people who got involved with that took that away from those people on Sunday. End of. Yeah, well said, Chris. Not really got too much to add to that. I completely agree that there's multiple parties that got to take responsibility. It's not just pointing the finger at one person or one group of people um, and putting all the blame on there. You know, everyone's got to take some of that responsibility. Um, yeah, and it wasn't it wasn't pleasant scenes. Um, and I can't imagine it had been a good experience for anyone in the melee of all of that. So... Yeah, let's um let's hope everything can be resolved, everything can, you know, be um sorted with an investigation and whatever whatever punishment, discipline disciplinary action has to, to be taken, um hopefully that can all get sorted and yeah, we won't see anything like that again at any point this season. No, absolutely. And let's, as you say, Pete, let's, let's just hope that there's no, there's no repeat and, and that lessons can be learned because the bottom line is an incident like this, as abhorrent as it is, is always an opportunity to improve and get better and make sure that we never, ever see this again. And let's hope, as I say, that opportunity is taken rather than people desperately trying to blame each other, which is what certainly on uh, on, on social media seems to be happening a lot at the moment. Anyway, moving on to the football itself, which is what we're really here to, to talk about. And Pete, I mean, reflecting on the game, it was a Premier League side versus a championship side. And Ultimately, that's where the game was won and lost, wasn't it? Albion, over the course of the piece, had the better of the game. Um, they had more XG, 1.01 to Wolves' 0.72. They had more shots. <laughs> they had more possession. And yet Wolves roll out 2-0 winners. And the reason for me is is fairly simple. 
you look across Wolves' front line and Mateus Cunha cost 50 million quid from Atletico Madrid. Bellegarde cost 15 million from Strasbourg. Pedro Neto cost 18 million for Lazio. And by the way, would, if, if sold tomorrow, go for a heck of a lot more than that now as well. You know, there's 80 million pounds worth of talent there. Across our front three, the total spend 300k. And and that's and that's the bottom line. And that's not having a go at any of the Albion players, but we had enough chances to to get something out of that game. And to be honest, Wolves didn't really create enough to beat us. But two brilliant finishes. Pedro Neto's is 0.14 xG value, and Cunha's is 0.19. Uh, I think we're both of the opinion Griffiths doesn't cover himself in glory with the Cunha goal. But e- either way, that is the difference between. An eighteen million pound winger cutting inside, and you know players like Wallace and Swift getting into those positions who have never who've n- never really played any Premier League football of any real note. Similarly, Cunha going through or Cunha grabbing an opportunity like that is, and the way he takes it is the difference between a fifty million pound striker who played for Atletico Madrid, who've won La Liga, played in the Champions League, and Brandon Thomas Asante, who for the best will, with the best will in the world, has come from Salford City for three hundred thousand pounds. It, it's where games are won and lost. It's it, 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 it's your performance in both boxes. It's your finishing. It's it's how clinical you are. And and, and I think the reality is, Pete, if we give zero point seven two xg to most teams in the Championship, we don't get beat two nil. But you do it to a team with eighty million pounds worth of attacking talent across their front line, and you do. Yeah, Wolves were clinical, and Albion weren't. And when you simply simplify it down to the basics, then that's it. Yeah, they won the battle in the box, and in our box, and and we didn't. And that's where the result came from. Um, I thought Albion put in a really good performance, and there was a lot of positives to take away from it. But ultimately, we didn't didn't do enough to to win we you know we created more chances probably but Wolves have got better quality players um you know you don't don't enjoy saying it but that's the truth I mean if you look at the squad values or the the starting 11 values on transfer marked then they've got Wolves as being seven times that of Albion so well I mean let's let's be honest about this Pete if you did a combined 11 how many Albion players get into that combined 11 because the answer's probably none yeah um can't really argue with that, can you? I mean, I've only got a couple of players that might that might push, but to be honest, yeah, yeah I mean, maybe not. you're Koslu, but I mean, the reality is, it's it. it, it do you, are you are you leaving Lamina or Doyle out for your Koslu? Maybe, may, prob- maybe, but probably not. No, exactly. So it's it's a golfing quality, and we easily match them in terms of performance. And I would argue we're the better side. So that's huge credit to Corbran and the players for showing that we can comp- compete against Premier League sides. It's just that we didn't, we weren't cl- clinical enough on the day. Had things gone slightly differently, we may have walked away and and been in the the next round of the FA Cup. But you know, it's all well and good creating lots of chances and performing well. But if you don't take them, then you walk away disappointed at the end. Well, let's hope that uh, Callum Marshall can make a bit of a difference on that. And we will be we'll be talking about Albion's new signing in a little bit, Pete. But before we before we get on to onto that, I just want to carry on around the game. I mean, obviously the two goals are the decisive moments. Let's just let's just unpick those. The first goal, 
goodness me. I mean, it's so frustrating because you 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 look at you look at the start of that game, and Albion was so massively on top. We we'd had uh, we'd had twice as many shots as Wolves up until the point where they scored. I think Wolves had only won one tackle. I d- I honestly didn't think Wolves both. I mean, their fans were unbelievably quiet, by the way, and up to the point where they where they scored. It I, I it didn't feel. It felt like Albion had showed up for a Black Country derby, but it didn't feel like Wolves had in that first forty minutes, did it? And then. Alex Mowat takes Alex Mowat has been for me if you were handing out player of the season tomorrow it would be Alex Mowat for me without a shadow of a doubt and he hasn't got a lot wrong this season but what he is doing with that corner I mean I think I know what he's trying to do he's trying to pick out Jed Wallace on the volley but it's an awful execution he's floated it it's not got it's not got any of the any of the reach on it and it, nobody seems to know he's going to do it Wallace suddenly reacts like he's going Wallace is stepping the other way and then he's like oh my god this is for me and starts to step towards it I think you pointed out before we went on air that um, Bartley is making a run towards the back post which he just wouldn't be doing if he knew what Moat was about to do it seemed like Moat either he's done a signal and nobody's seen it or he's just gone crazily off book. He's seen he's seen Wallace in a position that he thinks is a good position and gone to pick him out but it's a dreadful execution It it really is and and then from there, I know I know Roy Keane had his say on it on uh, on on ITV. Um, I, I personally think there's elements where we could potentially do better. I think Swift and Townsend get a little bit confused uh, between them as to who's going to go to the ball and who's who's going to go into the middle. I wonder whether Swift could be stronger in the challenge. Um, but you know, the reality is, as I said, it's a 0.14 chance from uh, from Neto, which he strikes brilliantly and puts right in the corner. And look, that he is a player that is not going to be at Wolverhampton Wanderers very much longer. He is going to be at one of the top teams in Europe, probably, I would guess, probably next summer if he can stay fit. Um, because it, probably his fitness is the only thing stopping him from going going to a top team, Pete. And 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 that and that's how it that's how he punishes you. His pace is absolutely frightening when that ball's popped over the top. I mean, he, he, Townsend is not the quickest, but he's also not the slowest player in the world. He, he makes Townsend look like he's running in divers' boots, and it's it's just a very very good goal from that point. But it's so it's so frustrating because first of all, we were so far on top in that first forty minutes. It was you honestly, if you'd asked somebody who had no idea about football to name which one of the two teams was the Premier League team and which was the championship team. I think most most uneducated people who who, do, who didn't know enough about football to know Albion a championship and Wolves are, uh, Wolves are um, Premier League would have probably got it wrong. And then to give Wolves the breakaway with that mishit corner is just, it's so frustrating, isn't it? Because it changed the whole game. Yeah, the corner was a really strange one. As you say, it didn't seem like anyone was aware of what was about to happen. You mentioned Wallace not being prepared. When you watch the replay, it looks like he kind of is just strolling about and then suddenly you realise it's being played to him. Um, Bartley's making a run towards the back post and from the edge of the box. And you think if he'd known it was coming in, then instead of trying to run around the back of um, the defender that intercepts the ball, he would just kind of stand right in front of him and stop him from sprinting out to Wallace to give Wallace a bit more time, so just acting as a blocker. And yeah, all in all, it didn't seem like 
the Albion players were prepared for it. So really strange decision because you imagine every single corner routine is planned out on the training ground, rehearsed, and then Moat gives a signal and everyone knows what they're doing. But nobody seemed to know what they're doing in that situation. And when you allow Pedro Neto to to run down the wing on the counter-attack, um, you're always going to be in trouble. We highlighted it in the um, opposition analysis on the Albion analysis newsletter that their main way to move the ball up the field was on that right wing to Pedro Neto, especially on the counter-attack. Um, and if they couldn't spring a counter-attack from a deep position against an unsettled defence, and they're really dangerous, and that's exactly what happened. And to me, I don't think there's too much blame, if any, on Townsend or Swift. I think when Townsend's sprinting back that quickly to catch up with Neto, um, he's he's never in control of the situation, whereas Neto's in full, full control of the situation. Neto decides when he wants to slow down, and then Townsend has to react to that. And Neto is that much quicker and got that much more quality. He just stayed in control of the situation. I think Townsend wanted to show him down the line, but he couldn't slow down quick enough to actually take control of that situation and be able to show him down the line. And then I just felt that Swift was just slightly too far away from Neto to make any kind of stronger challenge. Um, he got a foot on it, and if he'd been five inches taller, or five, his legs five inches longer, then he might have got a stronger foot on it. But I think he was just too far away to make a a really strong, convincing challenge. And, well, Neto got a bit fortunate with the bounce and it was a good finish. Um, again, I, I'm not really looking at, at the goalkeeper for any blame there. It was a, a very good finish and it was kind of wrong-footed. For me, if you if you want to put blame on it, it's just on on the corner routine. Um, whether that was Moat not communicating it, Moat trying something off the cuff or or just the general setup. Um there's, there was obviously problems with that, and you give Wolves and especially Neto a chance to counterattack like that, and you you're going to get punished. Yeah, and obviously as we covered on the Substack as well. Um, and by the way, for anybody who who doesn't know what we're talking about, we've uh, we're, we're doing written content now as well as the uh, the audio content that you're listening to. Um, you can find us on X Albion Analysis, and you can find us on Substack Albion Analysis. Bit of a theme going here. Uh, the podcast is called Albion Analysis, and shockingly enough, you search Albion Analysis on other channels, you might just come across us. But if you want to read some written articles, and we go deep dive on the opposition every week. Pete does an amazing opposition analysis. Um, and I did a piece uh, last week on Albion's away record. It was predominantly on, but it highlighted one important thing and that that is very significant to this game, Pete. And that's that when Albion go behind, they don't get anything out of games. And unfortunately that was, that, that was the case here. We, and again, though, we came back quite strongly into the, into the game, but I, I don't know after, after that, after that goal, I think there was there was a couple of moments in in the game where you thought maybe just maybe we we might get something. I think the big one was um, was Wallace's header back across the six yard box, and there was that tangle of legs between Kilman and and Thomas Asante. Having seen it a few times, I don't I don't think it's actually a challenge by Kilman. Um, and because at the time I thought I was in the Birmingham Road, it was right in front of me. I thought it was a stonewall penalty. I thought Kilman had put his leg across. Uh, Brandon Thomas Asante to stop him getting to the ball but looking back at it it probably if anything Brandon Thomas Asante probably kicks Kilman um, but I mean you go 1-1 there and I mean the momentum would have been so with us I, I think I think we would have had a really really good shot at winning the game but unfortunately Albion's record 
after going a goal down goes before them and and so it transpired Pete and it, it is something of a problem it's something we've got to we we've got to fix and um, I mean maybe again it, it is a reason that that somebody like Callum Marshall is coming in to try and make us a little bit more more clinical because we we just don't we don't get anything out of games when we concede the first goal and and, it, and if anything you kind of almost get a feeling of dread that after we've conceded the first goal in a game that more likely than Albion getting an equaliser is what happened in this game, that the opposition are just going to catch us on the break while we throw the kitchen sink at them to try and equalise and, and, and do us 2-0, which, which again is it's also what happened at Norwich. Yeah, I mean, for large parts of the game, we looked like the better side and looked more likely to create things. And I agree with you on the, the penalty shout. I don't think it's a penalty. Um, it was just well defended and yeah but Kilman's just kind of in the way of Brandon's swing without actually making any kind of challenge so I didn't think there was anything in that and it was how Wolves wanted to play really they're probably most dangerous on the counter-attack I think in terms of the percentage of counter-attacks that they turn into goals I think they've got the highest percentage in or high turnovers even the highest percentage of high turnovers leading to goals um, in the Premier League so when they've got a chance to break on teams, they're they're very dangerous and they're quite happy in that situation. I mean, the actual goal, the second goal that they scored, it was it wasn't a particularly I mean, it wasn't a high turnover or anything. It was just a ball in behind a high line and they made the most of it. But Wolves were kind of happy to sit back on Albion were happy to take the game to them most of the time and um I thought we had some really nice moves. The one Say it say it quietly, Pete, but they're a little, they're a bit like a Premier League version of us, aren't they? You know, they back themselves to defend their box. Two good centre halves, and well, uh, three three good centre halves, really, the way they play. But um, but they and and they 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 want to hit play teams on on the break. And to be honest, teams that sit in against them is the ones they have a little bit of trouble with. Yeah, and both sides are very good at set pieces. Another thing highlighted on the uh, Substack that Albion are probably the best team in the Championship in terms of set pieces um, if you look at attacking and defending set pieces um, and Wolves are one of the best in the Premier League as well so there's definitely similarities there um, like we say I mean Wolves were fairly comfortable with defending um, after they took the lead but we did create a couple of chances and had we put one of them away you'd have thought you'd have hoped and thought that the atmosphere around the ground and the lift that it would have given to the crowd and just the way that the game was going, we could have gone on to to win the game if we'd equalised, but wasn't to be. And I mean, the the quality that Wolves have got in their squad, it, it showed towards the end because they had two chances and scored two goals from. It. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home, especially with Albion's home record under Carlos Corbran. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. You in? Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. 
cmcdonalds.com. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, just just on the on the chances, uh, Pete. It seemed to be um, uh, magnet and steel at the heart of it, as I as I like to call them, uh, Wallace and uh, and Swift. And it's nice to see them back together and 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 really linking up again. I thought I thought they 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 were both tremendous. To be honest, I thought Swift some of some of his play was it was absolutely quality. I thought you know he's he's had he's had four shots during the game and. When you actually look back at the highlights, I'm, well, I don't know whether anybody's going to want to put themselves through through looking at the highlights again, but um, but you know there there's some of our better efforts as well. Um, there's there's obviously the the the, the one which uh, where he's um, he, he sat down the Wolves defender and then he's hit Dorset where, he, where he's only had a tiny bit of um, a bit of goal to um, to aim at. He's obviously had one where he's dipped it over from range, which was a really really good shot. He's had a snapshot from the edge of the box, which he just couldn't quite get in, uh, hold of, which you know was a decent save that Jose Sarr had to had to make. I, I thought throughout um, John Swift was a real real threat all all the way through the game and and. You know, Jed Wallace. I, I, it was interesting. I, I sort of, um, I, I was, I, I was on on another pod um, during the week, and I, I, we we were talking about the fact that Pedro Neto had said that he didn't really know what this game was all about, and I said, well, th- there's not a doubt in my mind that that's going to be a problem in the Albion dressing room because Jed Wallace is so attuned to what this game is all about, and I thought he just got that so right on Sunday. He was energy from minute one. He was all over the park. He, but he had quality as well. We could. I was about to say we can all run around, and then I remembered that I can't. But you know, most <laughs> most professional footballers have the capability to run around if that's if that's all that's required of them. But to do so and to have some end product and have some quality is a completely different thing, really. And and Wallace had highest expected assists in the Albion team. He had the most dribbles. He had two shots. Um, you know, and I mean, okay, maybe shoot, maybe could do better with the header, with the free header in the middle of the box. But I mean, he was flying into tackles as well. I know one of them got it, got him, a, got him a yellow card. But sometimes that's that's what that's what the fans need. They they you almost take that booking to get the fans up and on their feet. I just thought he he understood the tone. He understood what the supporters needed of him. I, th- I thought he was a real skipper, and I thought, uh, but I, he did it with quality as well. And I thought John Swift was our main attacking threat. Um, and uh, and it just again that's against a Premier League team. They didn't produce ultimately a goal, which is what they what, what we needed them to do on the day. I'm not sitting here and saying either of them at this moment are Premier League quality because they're untried at that level. But what I will happily say is that against lesser sides, which is what we will play for the rest of the season, we will not we will not for the rest of the season play anyone as good as Wolverhampton Wanderers. It's that it's that simple because Wolves are mid table in the Premier League and we're in the Championship. And against sides not as good as Wolves. Swift and Wallace are two of the best in the division. And if they turn out that level of performance against lesser sides, I think it'll get them very, very far. Don't you, Pete? Yeah, I thought they were both very good. I thought Wallace 
started a bit slow the first 10 minutes. I think there was a couple of misplaced passes and sloppy touches. But then after that, I thought he was brilliant throughout and, like you say, created chances, um, took his men on, had a good chance himself, which I thought in the end was quite difficult because he it was always going to be tough to generate the power in the header as well as the direction from kind of the the way the ball was crossed in and how Wallace kind of got himself a little bit underneath it. So maybe not as simple a chance as it initially looked. but um, And then obviously in the tackle as well and worked extremely hard. I'm with you there. I don't mind a, a yellow card in a derby from the captain. It gets the fans on the feet and um, probably G's up some of the players as well that just need... I have to more. say, I enjoyed Bartley's yellow card as well. I mean, that that was about as cynical as as they come stopping that that breakaway. And he, I tell you what, he wasn't backing down when Craig Dawson ran up to him either, was he, Bartley? No, <laughs> that was a that was an interesting one. And but you know, he he knew what he was going to do. Stopping the counter attack, and you know, he may have done it a bit more with a bit more uh, power than he, against any other team. But I don't think he crossed the line, and I think. Dawson got a bit carried away when he came up accusing Bartley of sticking an elbow into it. He didn't stick an elbow into it at all. It was just, you know, he just stood his ground, knew that he was going to take the hit and stayed strong. There was nothing nothing malicious in it, but um, he knew what he was doing, so... It's how derby should be played, isn't it? I mean, you know, we've we've obviously talked at the start about not not going over the top, but the players on uh, players on the pitch, they've they've got to feel the occasion. You you know, you don't you don't want to go crazy and get yourself sent off. We always remember that you know Stephen Gerrard in Liverpool, Man United, coming onto the the field and getting himself sent off within about thirty seconds. You've got to. You, it's got to be controlled aggression, but it does need. There does need to be an element of of aggression. I, and and I thought I thought there were a number of Albion players that struck the right tone in terms of that. Yeah, I mean, a bit closer to home, there was uh, Jake Livermore on. Um, I think it was on Jack Grealish, wasn't it, against Villa in the Premier League in Allardyce's first game. So you want the you want the aggression, and you want to you want the challenges to maybe be a, a little bit harder than in any other game, just to get the players around you up for it and to get the fans up for it but you have to be careful not to go over the top and let the occasion get the better of you because I imagine when there's all the fans the players will be able to sense it in the atmosphere of what the fans are like and if you've not got the experience to use that in the right way it's probably easy to let it go to your head and go flying into challenges the way you shouldn't and get yourself in trouble um like I said I, I don't mind Wallace getting the yellow card um, as long as he's got the composure to see out the rest of the game without getting sent off. Um, and that's the important thing, which I think the players on the whole, they got that, they understood it, and they applied themselves in the right way and used the atmosphere to their advantage without going over the top. Just got to talk about the second goal quickly, Pete. You did touch on it before, but I think for me, there's there's a couple of elements to it. Just, just giving Bartley a bit of praise for feeling the occasion, but... Um, He's made a mistake for that for that second goal, hasn't he? He's, I mean, if you're going to step out and play offside, the the first rule of that is you've got you've got to step up uh, before the ball is played, not after. And he just he just steps up way too late. He gives Cunha acres of space. It's a very good run by Cunha. Credit where it's due. And then Josh Griffiths, I think, is trying to is trying to gamble that um, that. Uh, that Cunha is going to put the ball the other side of him to that which he does, and you, if you give a player of Cunha's quality, this the, the, again, this is a difference between the Championship and the Premier League. A Championship player goes through on goal, 
and they probably most of them make their mind up fairly early where they're going to put the ball and where the where the goalkeeper positions themselves probably doesn't make that much difference because players don't want to second guess themselves at that level a premier league player goes through on goal and they are just eyes on the goalkeeper the whole time and whatever the goalkeeper wherever the goalkeeper gives them the gap they'll put it and I think Josh Griffiths forgot, probably forgot the quality he was up against, and he's he's gives, given him too big a too big a gap um, to to his uh, to his left hand side, and and Cunha takes full advantage of it. And again, it just comes back to that's the difference between a fifty million pound striker and the kind of strikers that we generally come up against in the Championship, who cost a few hundred thousand pounds. And 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 whilst some of the prices in football are obscene. The reality is that Matthias Cunha probably is ten times the player that some, uh, 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 you know. No, sorry, my maths is awful. <laughs> it maybe is a hundred times a player that costs five hundred thousand pounds. Maybe he's not. It's virtually impossible to 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 measure that. But the reality is the gap is so huge between the Championship and the Premier League. You've only got to look at the three sides that went up. And they are the bottom three. And look at the three sides that came down last season, and they are three of the top four. The fact is, the rest, uh, the, the rest of the championship is struggling to compete with the rest of the Premier League. Since COVID came in, the gap has never, ever, ever been bigger. The clubs that have been in the championship have seen their finances get worse and worse. And the clubs that are in the Premier League have continued to flourish and spend huge sums of money. And not only that, but because... Other leagues around Europe have got weaker. Clubs in the Premier League have been able to pick off players from other clubs around Europe where they wouldn't necessarily have been able to do so had COVID not happened. So clubs in the Premier League who have stayed in the Premier League for a reasonable amount of time have just got stronger and stronger and stronger. And clubs in the Championship have got weaker. The gap's got bigger and... I think probably Josh Griffiths for a moment forgot that he was up against a Premier League striker who, let's be honest, is Champions League quality because that's where he was playing for um, for Atletico Madrid. That's the problem that you've got now is that clubs like Wolverhampton Wanderers who are mid-table Premier League clubs can go and pick off a top three player from Spain who plays in the Champions League every week because the Premier League is that much more powerful than La Liga, Ligue 1, Serie A, all these leagues, that the teams who qualify for the Champions League can't even keep their players when Wolverhampton Wanderers keep, comes knocking and and they will punish you, Pete. They will punish you, won't they? Yeah, I thought for the second goal then, it was a bit of a mistake by Griffith, Griffiths in goal. I think he initially... When he saw the ball come over the top, he was gonna he was backpedaling towards his goal line, but then Cunha takes a a touch that's quite heavy, and I think Josh then thinks maybe he can come out and go and claim it. So he, but he still hesitates there, and then when he's caught in the position he is, when Cunha takes a shot, it just makes it very easy for Cunha to to find the back of the net, and it makes it a very difficult save. I think if if Griffiths had kept on backpedaling towards his goal line and stuck on his goal line, then the angle that Cunha takes a shot on would have made the save relatively easy. Um, or if Josh had committed and come, just committed to that decision early and come out, he probably would have got to the ball as Cunha was getting there and probably would have taken it. And it was just a bit of 
indecisiveness and had he made a decision earlier and committed to that decision, then I think he probably would have stopped the goal. Saying that, I'm definitely no goalkeeping expert, so I could be talking utter rubbish there. But from what I've seen and what I've read about goalkeeper analysis, I think at that angle, you're best off staying on your line um, because it's such a tight angle to take a shot on and Bartley probably would have recovered a bit, stuck on you from driving inside. So I think that one's probably a mistake on on Griffiths. But other than that, I thought he had a good game. Um, he made a very good save. I think it was before that, tipping one just was- wide. Yeah, it was. It, I think it was after that, actually, mate. I think, it, uh, but Cunha again. Yeah, absolutely brilliant, brilliant. So I think, I think it was actually after the game had restarted. But yeah, it was a fantastic tip, fingertip save. Yeah, there was that, and then I thought he was very good with the ball at his feet as well to have the composure to play out in some of the areas he played out in that occasion as well with the fans creating that kind of atmosphere in a in a local derby that's not been played in front of fans for twelve years. It's it was very brave and. He did it to perfection, really. Um, I don't think he really made any mistakes when he was trying to play out, and it was crucial for the times when we wanted to draw Wolves into pressing us and then play through them. Um, if you make a mistake in that situation, then you're almost certainly getting punished. So to show that composure and in that whole environment and situation, taking all the factors into account, then I thought it was really impressive for a goalkeeper that's his age and has had very few minutes this season. Before we move on to Callum Marshall, Pete, just overall assessment of the Black Country derby. Obviously, nobody of an Albion persuasion is happy with losing it, and we're not saying that we are. But positives, plenty of positives to to take away from it. I mean, the re- the reality of the situation is we 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 probably feel hard done by to have lost to a team that's mid table in the Premier League. And and f- probably feel like we've had the better of the game against a team that's mid table in the Premier League. That if if to be honest, if that was any other Premier League team other than Wolves or Villa, you'd probably come away from that game going, "Well, we've lost." But you've got you've got to see the positives out of that. Probably the only reason why it's hard to see the positives at this moment in time is because of who it was. Because it's Wolves. If if that had, if. if Take the team that Wolves nearly lost to in the third round. If we'd lost to Brentford in that manner, I think you'd enormously see the positives from the game, wouldn't you? Yeah, if you take away the team that we played out of it, if you take that out of it, um, then it's probably easier to see how good a performance it was against mid-table Premier League opposition. We were very close to taking a lead before they scored their goal. And had that happened, it could have been a very different game. Had we equalised when it was... 1-0 1-0 and we had the chances to do so it could have been a very different game the overall performance was very good so yeah despite the result I think we can be proud of the players um, and the management for the way that we set up and for large parts of the game we dominated it we kept the ball well and created chances from it so yeah for, I think you just have to take the positives out of it um, I, you know I'm the same as every other Albion fan I was disappointed that we lost but I wasn't angry at the way that we played or or disappointed in that. I think we took the game to them and they would they tend to be the side that were dropping off and sitting back and not seeing a lot of the ball. So I don't think we were scared of the opposition. Um and if we can carry on playing like we did against Wolves in, in championship games then, you know, I can see us only holding on to, to what we've got in a playoff spot. And if we can do that then I think it'll be a successful season if we can make the playoffs. 
considering a lot of Albion fans, I think we're kind of predicting we're mid-table or mid-to-bottom table. Um, Cole Brown's done a fantastic job with very limited resources. And yeah, if we can reach the playoffs, it's going to be, if we can win the playoffs, then it'll be a fantastic season. Um, but yeah, we definitely take the positives out of the performance, even if we can, even if we're very disappointed about the result. And two other really positive pieces of news this week. First was Tom Fellows signing a new contract. Absolutely huge for the club. I mean, you, you don't need us to go on about why Tom Fellows is an important player for West Bromwich Albion. We tend to talk about him every week and he impacted the game against Wolves as well. You know, uh, really, really good pullback for a chance for Brandon Thomas Asante that he put over the over the bar. And and again, it just seems like every time Tom comes onto the pitch, he just, he just impacts the game and... and it's so, so impressive for such a young player. He's dynamic, he's front foot, he's the kind of player you you love to watch. And for the club to tie him down to a new deal was absolutely enormous. And then that was followed up, Pete, with the news that Callum Marshall had joined us on loan from West Ham United, a 19-year-old Northern Ireland striker. First of all, very impressive the fact that he's got three Northern Ireland caps when he hasn't even made his league debut yet for West Ham. He was on the bench against uh, against Sheffield United on the 21st of January, but didn't get on. And interesting, before we talk about Callum specifically, the position, because Corbran said at the start of the window he wanted a versatile attacker. Well, that appears to be Andreas Weiman. He seems to seems to very much fall into the category of versatile attacker, can pretty much play anywhere across the front. And then he said the other thing he wanted with Jeremy Sarmiento going was an out-and-out winger. Well, it seems like he switched up his attentions because... Callum Marshall, although has occasionally been deployed on the right wing, he's a sent forward. He's a goal scorer, Pete. I mean, 16 goals in 10 Premier League 2 games this uh, this season. I people will be going, okay, that's that's Premier League 2. He's playing he's playing against, you know, other 18, 19, 20-year-olds who maybe maybe aren't fully physically developed. So, can he mix it? Can he mix it against the the brutes of the championship. Well, he's also got three goals in four EFL trophy games, two goals against Bristol Rovers, a goal against Cheltenham and two assists against Colchester. So if physicality's a problem, then how's he mixing it against League One and League Two opposition? Yes, everything he's had before now, this is going to be a step up, although you know, he's an international football for, for Northern Ireland. But Pete, I think personally, and the stuff I've heard, by the way, I, I've, I've been talking to people over on the West Ham side of things and also talking to people over on the Northern Ireland side of things. And they've got me very, very excited about this young man. I think this is a really, really, really good signing. This is one to really get excited about. I think, I think we've got, I think we've got a special young player here. yes, Everything we're going to ask of him is a big step up from what he's had before. It's a big step up from EFL Trophy football. It's a big step up um, from Premier League 2 football. But the fact that he's getting international appearances for Northern Ireland at 19, they're not getting handed out through charity. He's, he's getting them because he's worth it, because he is ready for that kind of football. And... I think he's ready for the championship and and I I think I think we've gone and signed a really really exciting player here but I do think it's very interesting the position that we've filled rather than going and getting the winger that Corbran said we would go and get we've gone and got a center forward. Yeah, the it kind of surprised me because of that. I fully expected us to be in the market for a winger and that to be the the next signing we make. 
and like I say, we've got a, a striker, a centre forward, and one that scores a lot of goals. Um, I also half expected us to bring in somebody um, more senior than in Callum Marshall. I thought Corbran would go for somebody that's played Championship football and has been playing semi regularly, so they can get straight into it and uh, and know the challenges that they're going to face. And you know, when we're a side that signings we're making right now, we're focusing on on the here and now. The aim is to get promotion this season. You do that by having experienced players rather than um, having a squad full of young players that, that maybe don't have that experience but have got a bit more energy and, um, and maybe a bit more unpredictable. You know, it's nice to have a balance and we have got the oldest, the our, the average age of our playing squad is the highest in the division. So we've got the oldest squad in the division. Um, so to add a bit of youth to it in our situation is definitely not a bad thing. Um, Maybe he's looking at Saturday's opponents, Pete, and and seeing how well Jay Stansfield's flourished at Birmingham City. Because I mean that that if you want the prime example of what a young striker can do on loan, I, I've been so impressed with him. And it, it, if if Marshall can do anything like what he's doing, we, we've we've hit the jackpot. Yeah, definitely. Um, Stansfield's having an excellent season. But yeah, like I say, having a bit of adding a bit of youth to the oldest squad in the division is is definitely not a bad thing. Had we got a squad full of young players um, and a load of relying on a load of low knees that have come in from Premier League clubs from that have been playing in the Premier League too in recent seasons, then I'd be questioning it. But because we've got that experience around the rest of the squad, I think a young player is probably going to be useful. You know, he's bound to have a lot of energy, and he's got a fantastic goal scoring record in Premier League 2 um, if you look at I think everyone's seen his, his goals scored compared to games played it's something stupid like 16 goals scored in in 12 games I think 10, 10. Um, it, it, he is uh, if you take it down to goals per um, per 90 Pete he's at 1.66 goals per 90 so he's just he's not that far off two goals a game yeah, which is incredible. Um, obviously, it's Premier League too, but if you look at his non-penalty expected goals per 90, that's at 0.7, which is extremely high as well. Um, well, it's, then... it's worth mentioning, Pete, of those 16 goals, only two are penalties because I know people. somebody might think, oh, well, he's just taking all uh, all the penalties. Maybe there's half a dozen penalties in there. That's 14 of the of the 16 are open play goals. Yeah, which makes it even more impressive. Um, I think it's always important to judge goal scoring records without penalties if you actually want to you know dive into a bit of analysis on players um but like I say his non penalty expected goals are 0.7 the next highest for premier league two strikers in the past year has been at 0.42 so marshall's got not far off double the second highest um striker in terms of non penalty expected goals so he's in terms of getting chances he's by far the best in the Premier League too, which is really promising because, I mean, I think at the start of the season, you in particular, Chris, were talking about how Albion should be looking at picking up Premier League, the best of the Premier League two players on loan for a season because, you know, obviously we've, the finances aren't great at the club at the minute and there's some terrific players playing at that level that just need the opportunity to, to play men's football and, and show what they can do. And, by the looks of it, we've picked up the best goal scorer in the Premier League two in the um the under twenty ones football and 
I'm very excited about it. And it, it looks like a player that if he can perform at anywhere near the level he's been playing in in the youth competition, then we've got a very good goal scorer on our hands. Well, as I say, Pete, as well, it is worth mentioning the fact that it's not just at youth level. He's got he, he's got three and four against plus two assists. So five goal contributions in four in four games against senior opposition, against, against professional opposition. Yes, okay, they're League One and League Two teams in Bristol Rovers, Cheltenham and, and Colchester. But nonetheless, it just goes to show that it isn't just against people his own age that he can do it. He, he can mix it against senior men, whether, whether or not he can take the step up. In, he can put those two things together and do it against quality championship quality and senior players but i think it i just think it's a really really i i i'm actually as excited about the fact that he scored those efl trophy goals as i am about his premier league 2 record yeah that just gives us a bit more to go off when you can, when you judge him coming into the championship obviously he scored against league 1 and league 2 league 2 opponents and yeah the big thing there as you say is the fact that he's playing against fully grown men um, where there's that bit more physicality and experience, but also the fact that he's playing with um, under-21 teammates. So it's not like he's playing against men, but playing with them as well. Whereas coming to Albion, he's going to be playing with experienced pros. He's going to be playing with people like Jed Wallace and John Swift, who have got however many assists in the championship in their career. So there's the, the benefit of having probably better players around you that are going to create a lot of chances for you. Um, and obviously, you know, they're, they're the things that you think, okay, he's going to score more goals, but then it balances out that he's playing against men rather than under 21 players. So yeah, it's, it's a slight risk because he's not played regularly, um, at this level, but the fact that he's so far ahead of his, ahead of players with the same age in the same division, he's so far ahead of them in terms of goal scoring over the past year. It points to being a very prom- promising signing. It's not like we're just picking out a, a, some a striker that's playing in the Premier League too, and he's he's been average um, in terms of scoring goals. You know, we've picked out the very best goal scorer there, and by a big margin as well. So I'm I'm really hopeful he can come in and and carry on scoring goals like he has been um, in the under twenty one division against and carry on doing that against uh, Championship opponents. Well, let's hope he has a big debut against Birmingham City on Saturday at the Hawthorne. So we'll be back after that game to review that football match. And like I say, let's hope we're talking about Callum Marshall for all the right reasons after that game. But until then, thanks for listening and up the baggies. Albion have certainly been sharing the goals around this season. They're well into double figures now for different championship goal scorers. So why not take a leaf out of their book and do some sharing of your own with a McNugget share box? Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. You in? At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.